Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace podcast. Each week, we explore a biblical passage or topic, offering insight and application, seeking to point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also have some interactive questions for each podcast for individual reflection or for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. This week we are going to look at the familiar story of two sisters and their friendship with Jesus. The sisters are Martha and Mary, and the story is found in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Both women are followers of Jesus, and both are friends with Jesus. Both are on the good side of things, which I want to note because we sometimes like to pit them against each other. This is not like the Cinderella story with a hero and a villain. Some say, I'm such a Martha, like that is a bad thing. We may like to ask, are you a Martha or a Mary? Like there's only one appropriate answer. We may even try to fuse the two together. We could use the hands of Martha or the work ethic of Martha and the faith of Mary and almost come up with like a Christian Frankenstein. Martha is a good guy, quote, unquote. And to be like Martha is a good thing, as we shall see. She is different than Mary, gifted differently, and one who knew and loved Jesus. And we know that Jesus had fans in his time. Those are those people that knew about him or followed about and kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. He also had haters, those that worked against him. And he had a few friends, of which were Martha and Mary, along with their brother Lazarus. The fans, that's like, hey, Jesus is in town. Let's go see what he does. Maybe we can get something out of him. The haters would be like, Jesus is in town. Let's go see if we can incriminate him or do some harm to him or somehow upset his ministry. The friends? Hey, Jesus is in town. Let's hope we can get him to stop in and we can have a meal and visit and hang out. In Luke chapter 10, then, we're going to see Jesus with his friends. It was uh, verse 38. It happened as they went in excuse me, that they went, that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. So we see here, this was Martha's house. Her sister was Mary. Both, by the way, were unmarried, as well as their brother Lazarus was unmarried. And the Bible doesn't tell us why. That's definitely not normal. It's pretty unusual. Uh, We have no idea why, though. But um, remember, their culture is uh, like patriarchy on steroids. Really an unfriendly culture for women. And uh, here's Martha, who has a house. Maybe it was inherited. We don't know. She also has some means. And this actually speaks well of her in in that culture, to be an independent woman that has a house and some means and is doing this. Uh, 
we saw even last week in our story with Mary putting the oil on uh, Jesus' feet. This is the same Mary, the sister of Martha. And uh, that oil was of great value, remember? So there is some wealth here. Uh, The two sisters are two different human beings, different personalities as one would expect. So that Jesus would visit two unmarried women in their home, that also is pretty unusual. Uh, These are some social norms that he is violating expressly in that, especially in that culture. Well, speaking of unusual, we also see something else here. We see Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening or absorbing his teaching. Now, this is not normal for a woman. Women and Gentiles typically were forbidden to sit at a Jewish rabbi's feet. But Jesus had women amongst his followers. He welcomed them. He instructed them. They were included And we notice in the verse that says she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Well, what is the also referring to? It's most likely meaning that she too was sitting with the other disciples that were taking this posture of being sitting at his feet. That is the normal posture for a disciple. In fact, Paul refers to that uh, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, when he's referring to his past, how he sat at Gamaliel's feet his teacher for some time. So we see then Mary is an active participant in Jesus's teaching, and this is very much maybe preparing her to become a teacher herself at some point. She is a woman that has a quiet influence, as we shall see. Meanwhile, we see Martha is focusing on serving. Remember, hospitality is a very, very important aspect to this culture. And, and so they welcome Jesus to their house. So what would you do if Jesus was at your door in that culture by your invitation? So the serving is not wrong or immoral or inappropriate, but there is a problem. As we see further in verse 40, we read the word but, it's a contrast, but Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted with much serving. And so this word distracted uh, means to be drawn in two different ways at the same time this internal conflict, two things wanting at the same time. She's busy doing what she is doing, but she's having an inner conflict. And this is in the passive voice, which means this happened to her as she's trying to struggle with two different desires at the same time. Uh, This is then this distracted state comes upon her. Uh, One of the desires we know is this much serving fulfilling the hospitality duties and the right thing as the owner of the home and so forth, the, the host, Uh, what is the other thing that's conflicting her? Well, it would be reasonable to assume it would be to be like Mary or to be sitting there uh, and listening to the teaching. But anyway, what we see in verse 39 or verse 40 is Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, notice, um, we could look at this as this is the only imperative in this this story, that here's the only imperative given by Martha to Jesus, the God, her God and creator, uh, with a command, an imperative. That would never be conceived as a good idea. Besides, what would you do when you give Jesus a command and he ignores it? (laughs) You know, that Jesus, he never does what I tell him to do. So frustrating. Anyway, it was pointed out uh, by Daniel Wallace in his uh, um, 
this Greek uh, grammar book that he said, this is not really the imperative in the way we think of it. Simply because it's imperative, it hardly means she's commanding God. The imperative, he writes, is often used to express a request. This is normally seen when the speaker is addressing a superior. It's called an imperative of entreaty. So what this really means is she felt compelled, however, to come in and enter this scene where Jesus is teaching. And that is the problem, to, to be willing to enter and interrupt. Now, does she accuse Jesus of not caring? You know, like it sounds like here, like, Lord, uh, don't you, you do, do, excuse me, Lord, do you not care that my sister is not helping? But notice that statement is immediately followed by, therefore, tell her to help me. Because, of course, Mary, Martha assumes that Jesus cares and understands this problem. Mary had Martha had uh, Mary had initially been serving, excuse me, as the two hosts would do, but what she likely did here was Mary ceased serving when Jesus started talking. So Martha now is finishing up alone. But Martha would like to have done the same thing, but necessity was calling in her mind as she had this conflict and so she's distracted. Perhaps other things now are also entering into her thinking and she's kind of getting worked up, so she's willing to Go in, and even though it's a polite entreaty, we assume, uh, go in and interrupt. Now, um, <clears throat> surely she thinks that Jesus will direct Mary back to the norms and customs and to helping with Martha. So she also, one more thing to point out, for her to come in and air out a difference with her sister, kind of in a public setting with someone who's not a part of the household, would again be very unusual. So we definitely see unusual things going on here. But again, it also reflects that Martha, Mary, Jesus, they were friends and they were closer. And it was his presence and the desire to be with him that is uh, creating these conflicts. Well, we see then Jesus' response in verse 41 and 42. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Boy, he addresses her with tenderness and familiarity. Martha, Martha, showing endearment and care, not trying to remind her of her lesser position to his greater authority, and he's the, uh, the rabbi, teacher, etc. We see grace in action. I mean, Martha is in the wrong here. She came in and she was interrupting. And she's appealing what presumes here to be the social norms. And But Jesus doesn't get his stern finger, stern voice and finger wagging out. He, he doesn't show disappointment and he doesn't reflect irritation. He's patient. He's kind. We don't hear him saying things like, Martha, what are you thinking? Or you should be beyond this. You are just thinking of yourself. It's time to get over yourself. You're just having a pity party. Grow up maybe a little bit. In fact, why can't you be like Mary, the good one? You know, keep this up. We're going to put you in a timeout chair. Or things like that. We tend to hear those things, but that's not what Jesus is saying or doing at all. Martha Martha. Instead, gentleness. But he's going to speak the truth in love. He tells it like it is, only with effectiveness. 
He says, you are worried. Often that word is translated anxious. You're anxious and troubled. And that word is only found one time in the New Testament, troubled. And it means to be emotionally upset by a concern or anxiety. So it speaks of this kind of distressing emotion that goes along with the anxious emotion. And you are troubled, distressed, many things. We know several, one of them for sure is the details of serving and all that might be involved with that. Maybe that's what he meant by many things. We know there very likely is this inner tug within her, this distraction. She wants to two different things, distractions at the same time. She maybe would love to be at his feet too, but whatever, it's this mindset she's having and struggling with has created dissonance in her mind and dissonance in her thinking creates confusion and we're not clear. You know, if I had a dollar for every time I get distracted, I wish I had a puppy. You see, that kind of thinking doesn't, isn't helpful. It's not clear. Jesus goes on to say you're distracted, but or you have anxious and you're troubled, but one thing is needed. And Mary has discovered or found that good part. The ESV has it, that good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is needed. He points out how literally few literally it's few things are needed. In fact, just one thing is essential. It's kind of an idiom there. Few things maybe, but one thing is essential. And Mary has chosen the good portion. And this is perhaps even a play on word. It's like a cooking kind of term, maybe portion. And, uh, you know, you're concerned about portions, but here's the best portion. Regardless, if that's the case, it's still, uh, he's saying, giving attention to my words is of primary importance. And that'll never be taken away. That's like a permanent deposit. And the one who chooses to sit and listen, you'll benefit forever. So imagine that, choosing to hear the Word of God or to take that in today benefits forever. Can't you just hear him saying next, the text ends there, the story ends, but I could just hear him saying, so come on, Martha, sit on down here. We were just talking about, and then going back into his teaching. I can envision Martha being absorbed in the conversation quickly, enjoying and taking it all in. But we don't. The story ends there, but we can only hope and assume that that's what happened. But we'll leave this scene now, and uh, we'll advance a few years to John chapter 11, because we see the two women again with La- uh, again, and Lazarus uh, in this story. It's about the resurrection of Lazarus. He's the brother of Martha and Mary, and Lazarus was quite ill, and the sisters sent word for Jesus to come, as friends and loved ones do, and Jesus waits a few days. We don't have time to look into the story, but there's a very good reason for that. But he comes late. And in the meantime, Lazarus had died. And there were a group of mourners now at the house with Martha and Mary to comfort them. And Jesus then comes. And as he's approaching Bethany, uh, Mary, or excuse me, Martha's aware of it. And so we read in John chapter 11, verse 19, We're going to read 19 through 27. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them during concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But there's a hint of even some hope, like, you know, God will do, you ask of God and God will give you. So Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, confessing faith here, I know 
that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. They believed in the resurrection. You know, some of the Jews did not. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Pharisees did. There was some division there. But she's asserting her faith. I believe, again, in the resurrection of the last day. I know Lazarus will resurrect then. Yes, still a hint of hope. And Jesus then gets into a, a doctrinal discussion with her. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, Jesus hadn't resurrected from the dead yet, and people didn't understand he would uh, fully at all, but that's what he said. I'm the resurrection and the life, so life is in me, and when you believe in me, even though you physically die, you will live. And then he goes on, verse 26, Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? as he's referring to what Revelation calls the second death. If we die being alive today physically, but we do not put our faith in Christ, we do not get reconciled to God, and then we die physically, that brings a second death, which means a separation from him eternally, forever. That's why we need to be born again. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. You put your faith in Christ, you will have eternal life. Do you believe this? And Martha responds in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I know who you are. And her statement of faith, this is a, a, a confession of faith here. It's a serious confession. It's identical to the one that Peter makes to the Lord Jesus. In Matthew 16, verse 16 and 17, Simon Peter said when Jesus said, Who am I? He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The same thing Martha just said, except he added the word living, otherwise exactly. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. That confession of faith Martha just gave, that's of the Father. Blessed is she, if we take the same from Peter's confession. John, in Matt, John chapter 20, verse 31, finishing his, his gospel account, says, But these are written, the things I've written I wrote, that you may, ready, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Same thing and that believing you may have life in his name. So Martha is no lightweight. She's understanding some serious and important things here. She understands who Jesus is, and she believes. Well, following this discussion, which was private, Martha then goes back, as Jesus had called for Mary, and tells, tells Mary that the Lord is waiting for her. And she says, the teacher, in verse 28, the teacher is calling for you. That implies this is a term again for a disciple to the to the master to the to the rabbi. Uh, Martha is a disciple now too, positively impacted and changed by that rebuke in Luke chapter ten. She's not hurt. She wasn't made bitter. She was made better, and she was helped by that encounter. So Martha, in her encounter with Jesus, has an intellectual theological discussion about who he is, and he re relays he's the resurrection and the life. You see, Martha is the leader in her house. She's the doer. She's quick on her feet. That's Martha. Mary then comes and leaves the house and goes out to meet Jesus in John chapter 11. And this is publicly because the text says many in the house follow after Mary because you'll see Mary is this quiet leader and has an influence on people. She says the same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. 
And Martha said what she said, if you would have been here, my mother would not have died, with her personality and the theological implications that followed, and they connected on that discussion. Mary now says the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says it from a relational stance. If you would have been here, and she weeps. And the Bible says Jesus wept. He wept with her. They connected differently. Mary is who she is. Martha is who she is. Private response to Martha. Jesus reveals his power and position when he talks to her. Public response to Mary. He is emotional and matches her emotion. He weeps with her. Now we have one more incident. And it's the incident we saw last week in the podcast where Jesus... Uh, was was um, Mary came and put oil, very expensive oil, on his feet, preparing his body for burials. This is now uh, right before he's about to go into Jerusalem for the final week. John chapter 12 and verse 2, this is the text that says, There, he's in the house of Martha and Mary, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So notice who's they. They made him supper. We would assume that's Martha and Mary as they are jointly ministering there. And then they sat at the table, and and then we see the next verse says, Then Mary. And the account goes on how she got up and began to put this expensive oil on his feet, rubbing it with, wiping it with her hair. And, uh, and, and, and there was some controversy. The disciples didn't like it. They were critical. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She's doing this in preparation for my burial. And you know, Martha is there. She's in that house. She's at that scene. And Martha, she knows the value of that oil. In fact, uh, because they live together and she's kind of more the leader in the home anyway, Martha, that easily could have been both of their oil. Could have belonged to both of them. And she is not the one that complained. It was the men disciples that were critical. So here we see our final point we want to make is Martha is approving of her sister Mary and her devotion here to Jesus. They had already served, uh, made the dinner together. Martha has served because that's who she is and that's, that's how she's gifted. And Mary is uh, worshiping in this way and Martha's approving. So as we see this, these three accounts of these two sisters, we can make some applications. One, it sure is easy to get distracted, isn't it? You know, it reminds me of the parable of the four soils uh, that, that is mentioned in the, in the gospel accounts where uh, the third soil, the weeds were allowed to come in. There was growth. It started good, but weeds came and choked out the word. And in fact, the word is they were allowed to come in, kind of ushered in. And the good soil, though, the fourth soil, they, they, they kept the word valued it. It had a place. And so as these are both believers being expressed here, uh, the remedy from a third soil believer is simply to to, to sit and, and ponder the word and the Lord behind it. You know, just read it and listen. And as you read it, you keep listening, slowly tuning out the noise of the, I got us, I got to do this. I should be doing more of that. He doesn't do, she's only... If only we tend to have this noise that distracts us. Just keep reading, pondering, pray, and listen. That's how we can learn to not be as distracted. Another application is, you know, you are who you are. Your personality, your traits, your strengths, things of that nature. So we need to learn, we can learn just to minister from within who we are. Martha and Luke 10, the first encounter, was the distracted one. 
But by John 11, we can see she's an intellectually engaging one, and she's a student too, a disciple as well. And in John chapter 12, Martha is the approving one of the things that Mary was doing. We see growth here, don't we? We see change. And Martha is still who she is, and that's good. I was thinking of uh, Corey Tinboom and her sister Betsy in the the uh, auto, uh, basically the autobiography of the Hiding Place. These two women were involved in in uh, in, in the the Netherlands, uh, keeping some Jews from being killed through the Holocaust. And eventually, at the end of the Holocaust, they themselves were uh, caught and had to go to a concentration camp at the late stage of the war. Betsy, the sister, eventually died. Sorry, spoiler alert. But the two sisters labored together very closely. But boy, when you read that account, they were really different. They were very different personalities. But they needed each other. They relied on each other. They loved each other. They contributed in entirely different ways. And that was all okay. You see, it's comparison that I should be more like her, I should be more like her, or whatever. That's going to bring some anxiety and discontent. Let's just be who God made us and who we are and who he's gifted us to be with that personality and learn to minister right within who you are. You know, and I can bet again, like, like uh, Martha and Mary really valued each other and loved each other and worked together well. Another application is we can try to identify and avoid the Cain principle in our life. This is the roots of good intentions that goes back to Cain, another set of siblings uh, we can learn from. Remember in Genesis chapter 4, right after the Garden of Eden, and they're now outside the garden, Adam and Eve, we have Cain and Abel. In the process of time it came to pass, Genesis 4, 3, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. This is what he specialized in. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel, or said yes to his offering, but he did not respect Cain. He had to say no to his offering, and Cain became angry, says his countenance fell. The Lord said, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not uh, do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. So Cain and his anger and jealousy of his offering not being accepted, and he's comparing now to Abel and how his was, he rose up and killed his brother. You see, we want to impress the Lord. We want to be well thought of. We want to be highly regarded. It's something innate within us. We want to study hard. Why? I want to get good grades. I need to get better grades than so-and-so. I need to practice really hard to be the best at this or that. I need to try really hard to be nice and serving others and, and you know, whether it be doing good deeds or helping or whatever. The preacher might work so hard in preparing sermons and maybe because we think, who am I if I'm not good at what I do? Do you ever feel like this about anything? Welcome to the Cain principle. And we all do it. We really stress to do what is right or to do it well, to be responsible, to put all to put all our effort into it, to pull our weight. But we have to ask, why do we want to do so well? Because it might be from a selfish motive inside. Maybe we want to do good to impress Jesus. Here's my beautiful produce. Look how hard I did. Look how good this is. And Jesus just says, no, I'm, I'm, there is a faithfulness that's all the issue here. Doing things the way that we had wanted them to be done. Uh, do your best for Jesus. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. We might be thinking that way. That's my motive. But it's just being dutiful and duty-driven, maybe like the older brother in the prodigal story. 
So in your daily life, just remember, we have right reasons. The Word of God lays out right reasons for us, rational thinking, very positive truths that we can get a hold of. But if we stop there, then we're motivated just out of rational logic and reason. We need more than right reasons. We need right motivation. The motivation to do those right reasons only comes the right motivation from the love of God. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of God compels us. The great grace and love that's been shown to us, we love him because he first loved us. And that response of love is the right motivation as we see the right reasons. And then he even gives us the right ability, the power of God, the spirit of God within us that then even can produce and enable those desires. But right reasons, they're not enough. Right motive is needed as well. And that right motive is only found in love. Love for the Lord as he has loved us. Back in Luke 10, we can think of Martha and Mary, and we can again have this motive where we say we can be subtly in our thinking and how we present things that we want to preach Mary. We want to emphasize that's good. Look at Mary sitting at his feet, Mary wanting to hear, Mary learning. And yet we subtly push for Martha. You know, we need to push push and encourage one another. You know, we need to attend a church and help with the nursery and usher and help in the kitchen and teach Sunday school. Come for that building repair day and give perhaps some finances and do your part and witness when we're out in prayer groups and we can volunteer here. And we exalt Maryism, just sitting and fellowshipping with the Lord. But subtly we urge and we push Marthaism because there's this silent inner distraction. We're distracted. There's a desire to sit at his feet and just take in his grace and respond to his love. But we have an other compelling thought that we need to be doing things and being out there, all of those kinds of things with people and such. And they're both there and we're being pulled in different directions. Come and do and pursue what is right. Versus I could stay low and hear the word of God, read, listen, be encouraged and enjoy fellowship with the Lord. So I need to push Marthaism because otherwise people may not respond or do or be what they should be doing. But we forget that if it's Maryism that we respond to, if it's sitting at the feet that as we even see Martha did as well in John 11, John 12, things were very much on par. If we remember that, we can then know that the Holy Spirit is in the believer. The Holy Spirit loves the church. The scriptures tells us of the value of the church and the place of it. The Holy Spirit that's in each believer wants to use the believer's spiritual gifts, which are designed for the one another's and being with these people one another's and fellow believers if there's an imbalance the, the spirit of god knows how to rectify that just enjoy the lord and respond to him and have the right reasons mixed with the right motivation where god himself enables that activity and the then we don't have the internal distraction we can sit and relax at his feet and listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these individuals, Martha and Mary, that illustrate for us so many things. 
And thank you how you gently will correct us and through that change us and teach us to follow that internal pull to sit at your feet and be absorbed with you and your word, knowing then that our actions will flow out of these right reasons mixed with the right motivation and responsive love for you. And so we just thank you that we have all that to look forward to. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.